In May of 2000, Allison Thresher vanished from her small apartment in Bethesda, Maryland. It was the night before she was supposed to start a new position with the Washington Post. She's never been found, but the mystery surrounding Allison's disappearance has only deepened in the time she's been gone. This is a story of betrayal, anger, stunning accusations, and family secrets unearthed. There are strange coincidences and odd connections. But it is also a story about survival, forgiveness, and incredible courage. And a word of caution about this episode, the subject matter and language is not appropriate for children. I'm Melanie Onwick a reporter for the Fox station in Washington, D.C. If you've been following along with this podcast, you'll know that Allison Thresher, in the months before she died, was trying to protect someone, her daughter, Hannah, protect her from a predator who had wormed his way into their family. Allison warned her ex-husband, Jim Thresher, about the teacher, Fernando Asturizaga. She also warned Fernando and the school where he taught Spanish to her children. There was a physical fight between Allison, Jim, and Fernando shortly before Allison disappeared. Police have told us they now believe Allison was murdered in her apartment, that there was no sign of forced entry, that the crime scene was staged to make it look as if she was suicidal, and that the suspect tried to destroy evidence in the apartment. Neighbors heard screaming in the hours just before dawn. Allison's Volvo station wagon was found a mile away, and a man was seen running out of that neighborhood at daybreak. After the press conference announcing Fernando Estorizaga as a person of interest in their mother's murder, Hannah and Sam were feeling relieved and hopeful that someone would contact police with information that could solve the mystery that had permeated their lives. Then came a gut punch. Whew, uh, I was already pretty de-stressed by it was the same day of the, of the, um, well, how do I say it? I was pretty drunk because um, I tried to de-stress after the press conference. Right. I was at my friend's house and, and he was feeding me. already. Yeah, I, it was kind of like, oh, this is done. And my buddy was, and his girlfriend, whom I love dearly, were, were giving me some, some nice tequila and I was, kind of starting to feel good finally and like yeah we're gonna get some progress and then i i got i i i hadn't been by my phone and then my sister's best friend was calling and she and this is when i actually do remember and she answered or i answered and she was like hey fernando you know she said it straight up basically she's like hey fernando killed himself and i like dropped the phone like i was like i couldn't fucking believe it and i and i called mark or kate i think i called i called katie and she she was like dealing with the the whirlwind of shit, and they had been trying to contact me. I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, no, but does he have a pulse? And she's like, no, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. The emotions after that are complicated. I wanted him to to see what happens, you know, to how my sister and I are gonna end up, how we already are on top after all this shit, and how that's gonna continue. I mean, not see it, but you know. Right. It was almost like, you know, he took the coward's way out. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of like, I think chuckling, not chuckling to myself, but like, yeah, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> That's what you fucking get. Like, my sister 
did that to you. You did all that shit to her, and then she went up and, and went in front of the world and told her story, and, and you know, that, that you know, makes me fucking choke up thinking about it. Um, she told her story, and as the repercussion, he got to fucking feel every ounce of life drain out of his body as he hung from his dirty laundry or whatever the fuck it was. You know, I, you know, it, there was some form of, like, huge relief and satisfaction waking up hungover that next morning that was like, fuck you, asshole. You're fucking dead. That's what you get. I wish that he hadn't done that so that we could have possibly gotten some information from him, but, or more concrete information if he had it. Um, I mean, I can't say that I'm, like, really sad that he's not alive just because he did terrible things to me and my family. Um, and I don't think that he really deserved to be able to walk free and thankfully he wasn't. But again, my biggest reaction was almost immediately just, you know, what a, what a, what a cowardly thing to do. Montgomery County Police Detective Katie Leggett. I was, I mean, I had so many conflicted feelings of, I was so angry thinking, Mike, that is like the ultimate, you, you've taken enough from Hannah particularly, but from this family, my God, like you could have done one thing to help them out. And you know, I, I again, the human part of me has to say, well, I didn't walk in his shoes, but I don't have a lot of um, feelings of sadness for people that molest children. And that's why I dedicated my career to that. I think a lot of other things can be explained away that can't. And so he, he had one chance to kind of give a little bit back and he didn't. Detectives Katie Leggett and Mark Janney admit Fernando's death has closed some doors, but not all. We believe beyond a doubt that he had the answers and he took them with him. Yeah. It was the ultimate act of selfishness. It's far from over for us. If we wanted to the easy way out, we could say, yeah, I mean, we're pretty confident that, you know, we can't, we, we may never know. We're not going to get a confession from Fernando, certainly. We believe that if we find her remains, there's going to be more answers for us there. Just based on our investigation, we believe that that will point us in a more positive direction in terms of who did that, the, the role of burying her and bringing her wherever she's at. And so we're not, we're, we're not um, willing to give up yet. We're still going to do some things and do some more interviews and, and keep looking. Though they can't say for sure that Fernando Estorizaga murdered Allison Thresher, they know he had some kind of involvement. Do you believe that there's still a body to be found? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Do you think it's in the D.C. area? Yes. yes. Buried somewhere? Yes. Most likely, yes. Why do you think that? Uh, I mean, Fernando didn't tell us enough to do anything that we can jump out and do today, but I think he, he gave Mark enough, you know, knock on wood, like pay attention when I'm saying moments for us to think that that she would be findable. Solving that part of the puzzle requires backtracking through the murky corners of Fernando Estorizaga's life. Where did he hang out? What places was he familiar with? And did he have help? 
Problem is, police tell me Fernando didn't really associate with anyone other than the Thresher family and people at the Friends Community School. But I did find someone who seemed to know Fernando quite well. Hi, Melanie, it's Michael. Michael O'Brien tells me he spent a lot of time with Fernando. Personality-wise, he's a nice guy uh, at a superficial level. If you meet him, he has a nice smile, he's engaging for a moment or two, there's eye contact and then the eye contact vanishes. Okay. Uh, if, you engage him, if you engage him in conversation, that he's interested in, uh, he, he'll pursue it, and he'll look you square in the eye, but for the most part, he, uh, he, he disengages from people. Uh, what I did observe was he was attracted to young people. I can't even remember how I got him talking, but I think it was uh, you know a lonely night, and um, uh, he's in the top bunk, I'm in the bottom bunk, and we're talking without looking at each other, of course, because that's how it is. We're just, books in there yep. and um, you know uh, what he was saying I asked him how was his day what did he do and he, he seemed uh, depressed and you know I asked him uh, if you got someone special out there waiting for you and he, he told me that he did but he, he had lost her uh, that you know she'd gone away somehow so get this Michael says he's an investigator with a rape victims advocacy group, and he managed to embed himself into prison with Fernando so he could crack the case. This guy was wired backwards. I mean, seriously, he was wired backwards. People who are like this, they can't understand because they're built this way. They can't understand why others think they're weird or wrong or immoral. There's very strong, uh, revulsion for men who do this kind of behavior. But as an investigator, let's face it, your training is to be such that no matter who you're talking to, you just kind of hold your own emotions. Michael never gave me his number. He'd always call me from a phone with the caller ID blocked. We connected because I emailed him after seeing his website. If you Google the name Fernando Estorizaga, you'll likely come across his picture with the word monster plastered across his face. It accuses Fernando of being involved in the murder of his victim's mother. We checked the metadata for that webpage. The article was posted on November 8, 2011, seven years before Estorizaga was named a person of interest. And we worked very hard to make sure that he was convicted. If anybody needed information, or if anyone needs any encouragement that this kind of crime can't go unpunished, you know, I, I did my best. Right. And, uh, he, you know, maybe I was inside a little bit angry because all this time this guy's talking to me about a relationship with um, a little girl. You know, I'm a daddy. That makes me pretty angry. But anyway, as far as the Estorizaga case is concerned, why we're interested? Because we thought there was a lot more. And so we had this label. We labeled him a monster. And we labeled him a monster because we, we believed that um, the man has a criminal tendency, first of all, to, um, to commit this type of crime. And secondly, he's brilliant at hiding it. Brilliant. It's crazy, right? 
I had to run this by Mark and Katie. He claims to me that he got himself embedded in the prison. As I'm saying this, Katie rolls her eyes, takes a deep breath, and cocks her head to the side. Does he have a Canadian accent? Yes, he does. Well, that's one mystery solved. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's great. You just made our job a lot easier. Well, what's that all about? We don't know. We got an anonymous tip um, from somebody saying that they knew all these things about Fernando and about the case. I am 99.9999% sure someone did not infiltrate MCDC to get with Fernando. Michael did have details only someone on the inside would know. There's one point they all agreed on. I don't believe that Mr. Zaga did this crime without some help. Mark and I's gut is that there's two people involved, at least. At least. Yeah. So now we have three big questions. Who is Michael O'Brien? We'll leave that here for a bit. Who had the motive, means, and opportunity to kill Allison Thresher? And where is her body? We know Allison Thresher clashed with several people before her disappearance. Fernando, leaders at the Friends Community School, and of course, her ex-husband. As someone said to me that, that um, Jim Thresher hated his wife. Well, I think hated is the incorrect term because I think he still hates her. <laughs> yeah, hated would suggest past tense. I mean, he's not shy about his feelings for her. I mean, I think he's, he's very honest about his feelings about her and was to us, in fairness to him, very open about how he feels about her. The crime scene, Allison's apartment, was a five-minute walk from Jim's apartment. Allison's son, Sam, says there was a shortcut off the main road that went either to Jim's place or down to the Brookmont neighborhood. It was like unknown cut if you were in the neighborhood. And I'm sure, you know, if you spent any time with me while I was walking around the neighborhood, like running around or whatever, like the kid I was, that I would have, people would have found out about it. The killer or killers most likely knew that Hannah and Sam would not be at their mom's apartment that night. And there's a good chance got in with a key, then carried the body out, either through the front door or through the building's side exit by the basement laundry room. Next, someone would have had to get Allison's station wagon from the front parking lot and drive it down to the river, running away on foot, while the body, police now believe, went in another direction. Hannah and Sam know the proximity, the circumstances. They don't look great for their dad. Because that's kind of what it seems like from, from a distance, you know. Uh, I'm not disillusioned about that. I, I realize that it does look bad, but I know my dad. I love my dad, and I, I really don't think he would, he would um, do have anything. You know, he wouldn't have anything to do with my sister being abused and knowing about it. I know my dad wouldn't wouldn't take my mom away from me. I know he wouldn't do that to my sister, no matter how fucked up his life was because of my mom. His devotion to my sister and I was like so great that, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe that. There's always the question of the ex-husband and my father and how, how, you know, that's sort of what ends up being the case for lots of situations like this. But um, I have no doubt in my mind that regardless of the 
conflict that was going on between them through their divorce. And then at that time, um, he wouldn't have done that to Sam and I. I mean, he loves Sam and I so, so deeply and, and makes that clear to us all the time um, just by being a good dad um, that, that I don't believe he he would have done that to us regardless of what mindset he might have been in and I mean we were literally sleeping at his house. A reminder again that we did reach out to Jim Thresher several times he did not want to be interviewed for this podcast. So the half mile route between Jim's apartment on MacArthur Boulevard and Allison's apartment on Sangamore Road is heavily wooded. Many of the houses there today were under construction back then. Police tell me that often when someone stashes a body, it's in a place they're familiar with. And the other important thing for people to know is when people bury bodies or dispose of bodies, they often revisit that area to see if it's been tampered with or messed with or, you know, it's half paranoia and half the psychology of people that do these types of crimes. And if someone saw Fernando revisiting a certain area more than once or twice or something like that, it could, it could be the difference in the break of this case for us. 38 minutes around the I-495 Beltway from the crime scene is Fernando Asturizaga's condo in College Park. My photographer and I drove over there one morning. Fernando lived in the Towers of Westchester, Unit T7. The front desk clerk was the only person we found who remembered him, and she only recalled that he liked to cook. I was surprised to see that the condo complex on Westchester Park Drive is surrounded by a very large park. It's Greenbelt Park, described on the National Park Service website as an urban oasis with 174 campground sites and nine miles of trails. So many places to stash a body between my mother's apartment and his that it's hard to put a, a finger on where I could think it is. And I, const I constantly rack my brain to try and to try and figure that out. I really do. Our investigator, the one who says he spent time with Fernando, has his theories too. Well, I, I poked around at, at that a few times on a few nights and he got angry. But then at one point I got the idea that, that the route to wherever it is that, that he hangs out, probably, probably law enforcement knows this, but the route to wherever he hangs out is the beaten track that has been on a few times. It's a little south into, um, you know, the D.C. area. So that, that was my... That was my um, my thought at the time, because uh, and, like a number of things would come into that. Like I would think it out, and I would think it out the way a person would sort of in their mind attack a um, a, a, a criminal case. Like, wh what are the assets of this individual? Does he really know about removing bodies? Uh, has he got any history of chopping up bodies and putting them into boxes and throwing them in the lake, or you know anything like that? And this guy, I would say no. So he would be kind of beside himself. And the person who's beside himself, they fall back to the, the last thing they really trusted. And it would be some area in the middle of nowhere. Police were very interested in what Michael had to say. Perhaps he did have new information, new leads for them to track down. One afternoon, I got a call from Detective Leggett. She said, are you ready to have your mind blown? That Canadian was in jail with Fernando. Michael O'Brien of Toronto, Canada, was arrested December 28, 2010,
for sexual solicitation of a minor. Prosecutors described him as an internet predator who pretended to be a 16-year-old Canadian pop star online. He enticed a Montgomery County girl to take off with him to Canada. As the old saying goes, it takes one to know one. You think you've got something, or, and it just turns out to be the most crazy. Yeah. Another crazy turn, another dead end, another tiny flame of hope snuffed out. For Alice and sister Sarah, each time that happens, it hurts all over again. If we could just recover her, you know, that's been really what I have hoped beyond anything else, is that we could just recover her body and give her a proper burial. And, and, and um, I mean, it's very strange because I guess it's something kind of probably hardwired into people. But, um, you know, with, you know, rationally, it shouldn't really make a difference. I mean, it just makes me cry to even think about being able to do that. I know what you mean. And I know. I know it would, I know it would make a huge difference for him and Sam, too. I know it would. And to think of her just being thrown somewhere, um, and then so disrespected. It's, it's really hard. It never leaves you. No. In our next episode, A Way Forward. We just want to know where that is so that we can, we can give her what she deserves. And uh, she didn't get what she deserved at all. She really deserved to live her life and um, and to be our, you know, we deserve to have a mother and we just want to know what happened so that we can, we can, you know, close that chapter of our lives because it's been this open book for almost 20 years now. Thank you for listening to this podcast and please subscribe to Missing Pieces for the rest of this incredible story. I couldn't have done this in-depth work without the help of other people, including my colleague, Fox 5 photographer and editor Ronnie McRae and the Montgomery County Police Department. We'd also like to give credit to Rose Audio for our original music. And a special thank you to Sarah Thomas, Allison Thresher's sister, and Allison's children, Hannah and Sam. They are survivors and strong and they're hoping you, the listeners, can help them find Allison Thresher.